I realize that um, I have a terrible problem, and it is having um, so much information I want to share, and uh, I don't manage my time well in, uh, in delivering that. And so, um, and then what happens, as you know, or you're noticing, is that I talk fast, and I'll talk a lot, and um, which can then cause people to kind of get lost in what I'm saying. So I'm going to try to work on that problem of mine, but not today. (laughs) So I had a professor my first year of of, uh, Bible school, and he was teaching us Greek, and he literally got a stool and he put a seatbelt on it. And so when we started to speak Greek, he would sit on that stool and put the seatbelt on uh, as we began to try to speak Greek. So maybe you just need to put your seatbelt on today. And uh, here we go. Are you ready? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> the first time I remember my parents ever opening up their home to someone who needed a place to stay at night, I was six years old. I mentioned before, my parents built their first home by um, taking an old house that was up in the mountains, and they took it apart uh, piece by piece. I remember taking nails out of the boards. They then took that lumber, put it on a flat deck, took it down the mountain, and then they built their home. And uh, in order to build this home and be able to have the, um, the funds to do it, when they started to get somewhat close to the end, um, <clears throat> my, mom, my mom, she will do the taping and the, the mudding and the finishing of all the walls. She's amazing. And so in order to, for her to get that done they, they, um, and to save money, they bought a, a camper, eight-foot camper. And they bought this camper, and we moved on to the property. And the way it worked was is that um, my mom would work all night. She would come into the camper. She would get us up. She would fix everybody breakfast. She'd make their lunch. She'd see everybody off. She would go to bed. And then when we got, be- got home, she would get up and she would start her day. And she would work all night to finish this house. Amazing. Amazing. My mom is amazing. Anyway, all that to say is that one day I came home from school at about six years old. And there was a visitor visiting us. And his name was Mark. Mark Henry. And... Um, and which is great. We had visitors all the time. Even, even, uh, even as we had this small camper, my mom would still fix a lot of food and we have people over. So Mark came and, uh, and I thought that, okay, Mark is here and he's going to stay for, for a meal. And so my mom fixed us all, all five of us, a meal in the little camper. We scrunched around the table and we ate that meal. And when meal time ended and everything was all cleaned up and the time Mark should be leaving, Mark did not leave. My parents instead, they took a mat, they threw it on the floor, and they put, a, they put a sleeping bag there, and Mark slept on the floor in this little eight-foot camper. My sister and I on a table, my dad in the, uh, in the bed up above, and, uh, and then in the morning, my mom would get us up and get everybody ready, off to work, off to school, and she'd, do, she'd sleep. And Mark stayed with us, I don't know how long, well, I know, he stayed actually for quite a while. He stayed in the camper for quite a while, and then after that, Mark moved into the house. But it was my first taste of of really realizing that, that my parents were doing this thing called hospitality. 
And, and they did it throughout my life. They had people in the home staying with them. And what I didn't realize is this wasn't what every, every family did. I thought this is what every family did. You just threw something down on the ground and people slept there. Later on, I realized that this was really considered radical hospitality. Now, we're going to take a break from the book of Mark, and I'm going to do a four-week series on hospitality. And I hope some of you are asking this question. Why do we need to talk about hospitality? Rosaria Butterfield, she's written a great book on hospitality, and she has a fantastic story about how she came to know Jesus through hospitality. And she was at a professor's house, he was a believer, and she was there to gain, to gain information so that she could, whatever she did, that she could push her agenda that her agenda was different than the Christian's agenda, and she figured if I understood the Christians and their agenda, then I could push my agenda and overcome them. But she says this about hospitality, because it was through that that she found Jesus, and she says, hospitality in a post-Christian, isolated, lonely world is one of the most valuable gifts the church has to reach our society. And it's true. We have this wonderful gift, called hospitality. And she has gone on to say this, that hospitality, that Christian hospitality is seeking strangers and making them neighbors and embracing neighbors so that by God's grace, they may become part of the family of Christ. Hospitality transforms a community. Hospitality transforms a church. And so, simply put, I want to put it this way, hospitality is love in action. Just a simple definition, hospitality is love in action. And if you've ever been, uh, if you've ever ex been exposed to hospitality, uh, you just, it, it's wonderful. And some of you here, sitting here, you have the gift of hospitality, like it just oozes out of you. And others of us have to work at it. But it is something that as believers we all should do. So that being said, I want us, I want us to explore what God's view is of family. And then I want to circle back to hospitality. So if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Mark, and, and we're, going to, we're going to look at Mark 12, and then we're going to work our way at the beginning of the Bible and then come back to Mark 12. So here we have this part. Jesus has been teaching, and, um, and he's teaching along. And if you could just in your mind's eye, transport yourself back to about 30, 31, 32 AD, okay? This is, so we're, we're Mark 12, uh, 46 through 50. Mark 12, 46 through 50. Matthew, did I say Mark? Thank you, Matthew. It, does it say? Oh, my goodness. Welcome to my dyslexic world. Okay, 
It's not Mark. Forget that, okay? That is totally wrong. It's Matthew. If we can transport ourselves back there, here is Jesus. He is in the middle of a message. I think the guy is giving it. People are on the edge of their seat. They are just going, yeah, this is great. And then what happens? A member of the hospitality team interrupts him and he says, Jesus, your mother and your brother are here to see you. Now, this is a big deal. It's a big deal because if we're transporting ourselves back then and we try to remove a lot of what we have today, we have to realize that Jesus' mother and brothers catching up to him was a big deal. It wasn't, they didn't have any news outlets that were out there saying, hey, you know, Jesus is over here in Nanaimo and he's doing this here and we and go, okay, let's head to Nanaimo. There were no cell phones for Jesus' mother to call him up and say, hey, Jesus, you know, I've got some time off. Your brothers have some time off. We want to kind of catch up with you. It's been a while since we've seen you, you know, so uh, where are you? None of that happened. You couldn't even look on social media, you know, where people are taking selfies. You imagine if Jesus is here today, hey, Jesus, let's get a selfie. (laughs) And then you post it online. Yeah, you know, I was, uh, I was in Coquitlam with Jesus at a big conference he was doing. There was none of that. So for Jesus' family to find him, they literally had to sleuth. They had to go along. They had to go from city to city to find out where he was. It may have taken them days. Of... Died. Oh, there we go. I'm back. So it was a big deal. So there was cause for him to be interrupted. I think today that if, if Lowell all of a sudden said to me, you know, he walks in there, he says, Scott, your, your, your mother and your brother are here, I, I would have a hard time not stopping in my message. And the reason being is, is the first question is, why is my dad not with my mother? And secondly, why is my brother with my mother? Like, he, he's too busy to come with my mom. Like, what's up with that? So you would think that Jesus' response when that happens is to go, great, hey, mom, good to see you, have a seat. Hey, brothers, you know, bro, sit down, have a seat here. But it isn't that at all. Look what he says. He says, who is my mother and who is my brother? Hello? Didn't, didn't the hospitality team just say that you're, this is your mother, this is your brother? And Jesus is saying, who is my mother? Who is my brother? And then he looks at his disciples. The people have been traveling with him for some time. And he looks at them, not the crowd, not right now. He looks at them, and he says to them, he says to the crowd, here is my mother and my brothers. Here is my mother and my brothers. How rude is that? And then he turns to the crowd and he says, anyone who does the will of the Father is my, sis- is my brother, is my sister, and my mother. What is going on here? That's what I want to know. Like, what is going on here? 
I don't believe that Jesus is trying to put off his mother and his brothers. I don't believe he's trying to do something here that is, is not showing any kindness because we know that later on, Jesus says to, his, uh, to the disciple John, when he is on the cross, he says to him, here is my mother. Basically, care for my mom. I am dying as the oldest, and I give you charge of my mom. So he does care about his family. So what is going on here? I think in order for us to understand that, we need to actually travel right back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, flip to Genesis chapter 1. And we read these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. So I want us to first recognize who is at the beginning of creation. Because we have Elohim here. God the Father is here. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, Elohim was there at the beginning. And the Spirit was there. A little, there we go, hovering. And so we have God the Spirit was there. God the Son, God the Father, God the Spirit. And then we have the Creator. The one that all things were created in and through and by, which is Jesus Christ. Why is this important? Because you have the Godhead at creation. At the very beginning, you have this Godhead at creation, and they are communing together. They're in community together in creation. It did not happen by one person. It happened by three persons who is one God. A very unique aspect to the world of gods. Because these, these, this God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are not in competition with each other, but are in union with one another. And that is important for us as we move forward. The Godhead is working in creation. Here we see community in action. At the very heart of God, we see the triune God in communal. And as Tyler Staten puts it, God in the very heart of himself is inherently community. God in the very heart of himself is inherently community. That is important for us. And so as God is creating, he, he creates and he says at the end of each time he creates, he says what? It is good. My wife fix, fixes wonderful meals. And I eat them and there are so many times I eat them and I say, this is 
good. I like this. Sometimes I can get that response when I cook. <clears throat> it is good. And then something changes, right? Something changes. We get to, we get to verse 26. And here it says that God makes man and woman and he says, I'm, I'm going to make them in my image. I'm going to make them in my image. And we could explore and discuss this verse in, in many different ways and ask the self a question, what, how are we made in his image? But where I want to concentrate today is that we were made in his image for community. He is communal. We were created in his image, communal. We were created for that. And so when he creates us, it goes from good to what? Very good. Very good. Why is that? Why did it go from good to very good? Because we were created in his image. That's why I, I say it's important for us when we look at people around us that we see them as image bearers. You are image bearers of God. And so then we'll move a little bit further, deeper into the story. We get to chapter 2. And in chapter 2 and in verse 3, that's not where I want to be. Sorry, I messed up. It's going to take me a little bit here. Ah, it's supposed to be verse 18. Okay? Verse 18, chapter 2. Then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. When I read this, one would maybe wonder and think, did God make a mistake when he first created man? Did he have a wisdom lapse here? that he didn't realize that Adam should be alone and now he realizes that Adam should, be alone, should, should have somebody? No, it's not that at all. This here is for not God's benefit, for our benefit. Our benefit because he wants us to know something and that is, is that man is not to be alone. You and I, man meaning humans, are not to be alone. We were created to be in a community. We were created to be together. That is God's heart, that is his passion, that is his desire, that we are to be part of a family. And when he says, I will make him a helper, this is not to say that, that, that woman, the woman is to be a slave for the man, that the woman is to be uh, something under the man, but it's meant to be that, I, that man needs to be completed. There is something missing here. And what the man had, the woman needed, and what the woman had, the man needed. And it brings completion. Community can never be isolation. God goes on to say that you need to go and fill the world. Fill the world, multiply and fill this earth. 
Because the earth was God's tabernacle. The earth is God's tabernacle. And all that is in it, in his original intent, was the whole world, all peoples would worship God in community, not alone. Last week, I talked about our need to have some solitude and some silence and to be with God, and that is important. Anybody take me up on that? A few? Fantastic. We need, we need in our lives to have solitude and silence, but we need this. We need community. And it's messy, is it not? It is. It is messy. But we need community because we were created in the image of God. We are not complete. Just like Adam was not complete without Eve and Eve was not complete without Adam, we are not complete unless we are part of community. I'm not saying that for job security, okay? I'm saying this because this is what God is saying. So let's move to chapter 3. Because in chapter 3 of Genesis 3, a tragedy takes place. The fall of mankind, sin enters the world. Now God's perfect community is broken. In 7 and 8, let's look at verses 7 and 8. So Adam and Eve have sinned. And it says in 7, Then their eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees and the garden. I want us to realize that two things happened when, man, when, when Adam and Eve sinned. There is a brokenness that took place between, between Adam and Eve, between, between humans. There is a brokenness. They started to hide from each other. And then there was a brokenness that took place between God and humans as they hid from God. And some of the hardest things to do in community is not to hide. Some of the hardest things to do with God is not to hide. But we do. We do. We have sin in our life. And when we come to God, we tend to, to drop it at the door. It's like a backpack. And we tend to drop it at the door when we come into the presence of God as if we don't have anything back here. No, I'm not looking at pornography. No, I don't have any hatred for anybody. Or, you know, and we can call it hatred. That's too hard. But, you know, yeah, somebody irritates me. But no, I don't, I'm not. No, I don't have this problem. I don't have this issue. And we do that there. And we do it here, too. And so it's natural for us to put on our fig leaves. It's natural for us to go hide in the bushes. And what community does is it draws us out to where we will stand before each other and more important, before God and say, here I am. Community is hard and it is messy, but done right, it is beautiful and it is life-giving. And you know what? It is something the world desires and is drawn to. But it's not easy. 
And it's very messy, but it's very rewarding. Let me begin to land the plane, okay? <laughs> so it's not easy for us to live in community. But when we give it the value and importance that it is, that God gives it, because he created it. By his very nature, it's who he is. And when we live in it, and we engage in it, it begins to transform us, and it begins to transform our community. What does Lady Smith need? What does it need? You already answered the question when I asked you the first question this morning, and you answered by saying what? Jesus! It needs Jesus. And I want to give it Jesus. And I want to give it a community for, for our community to come to and to have peace and to have hope and to have hospitality. I believe we can change our community. I didn't get to choose my parents. I didn't get to choose my siblings, although I think I did pretty good. Actually, God did pretty good. <laughs> um, I didn't get to choose that. I don't get to choose. You get to choose. You got to choose me. That's, 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 that's good, right? And I guess in a way I got to choose you, but, but really in a church, do we get to choose one another? Not really. I mean, kind of who you are is who you are, and you are here. But here's the thing. Why do we need hospitality? I'm going to come back to that. I said yeah, last week, where there are roots, there is fruit. And where we root ourselves with God, there is going to be fruit. Where we root ourselves in this community, there will be fruit. There will be. But we have to root ourselves here. And sometimes, as you all know, it can get messy. It can get really messy. When I take hospitality and I put it into action, I am living out the community that God has called us to be, to commune with one another. So I wanted this to be the base. I wanted this to be the place that we start because I want us to know that it's not just simply giving a cup of coffee or a, a goodie, which is all good, and I love coffee, and I, I love goodies, or I love tea, and I love, I love to have meals and break bread, and that is so wonderful, and that is so good. As I say, hospitality is not food. But man, when you have food, it makes great hospitality, Right? But hospitality starts in our heart. It really does. So I want to give you these two digging deepers options, an invitation, an invitation. There are two, okay? The first is this. It's very simple. Is that perhaps, perhaps after church, every Sunday, you could create a habit that instead of talking to somebody you're familiar with, somebody that you always talk to, you take the first three minutes and you talk to somebody that you don't really know very much or very, don't know very well or somebody you don't know at all. What if we did that? What if we just, after church, we're going to sing our last song, give you a benediction, and you look for somebody you normally don't talk to 
or somebody you don't know, and you just spend the first three minutes, and you ask them questions, like I asked Bryce, you like cake or you like ice cream? Simple things. You want to ride a bike, ride a horse, or drive a car? Just simple things. Where, you, where did you grow up? Do you have any siblings? Just to get to know each other. Secondly, secondly, another easy one, I think, and that is, is that consciously make an effort once this week to talk to somebody you regularly don't talk to. That even means when you go out through the checkout. You know how the first question we ask? How are you doing? How's it going? And we will say, fine. And maybe we'll say fine, but maybe we'll ask them a question. Like, what's the funnest thing you did lately? Why? Because hospitality goes beyond just clinking glasses, but it goes into real building relationships. And it actually causes us to have to slow down a little bit and talk to people and to look them in, in, in their face. Maybe you'll make a habit of hospitality, of going through the same line, the same checkout person. Every time that they are there, you're going to go through that same line, get to know them, know their name, and call them by name and build a relationship. I don't know. But I know that hospitality has to be intentional. So I have uh, on the sheet, I have these two invitations, and on it, I also have a list of 10 questions, 10 possible questions you could ask somebody. And I would encourage you to engage in that this week. Father, I thank you that what you have given to us is beautiful. Lord, we were created in your image. We were created from you, who is a God who is communal. And you've called us to live in community. Lord, it gets messy. You see that all the time. But Lord, as we dig into community, we dig into hospitality, Lord, I pray you would create a desire in us to live in community, to live out hospitality, that we would transform and change our community you have placed us in. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.